What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Anna Neuer, coming at you on a Thursday afternoon on December 1st. That's the sweet sound of a jack pine dead branch. Send me a tweet of your drink of choice. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about life without Carl and the Towns. What is there to be? Are we, should we be excited or should we be kind of nervous about what's to come? And then, I'll, and then I'll recap, obviously, the Patrick, the Vikings-Patriots game and then preview the upcoming matchup against the New York Jets. To close things off, I'm going to be talking about the Minnesota Twins and what they should do with Max Kepler. And as always, MVP, rough week, and underrated. So, let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com. And tell him Andrew sent you. It's that time of the year where everyone is posting their Spotify wrapped. And before kind of diving into the episode, I just wanted to kind of give you guys a shout out. And I appreciate all of you who have been listening to my podcast. We've grown. It was very kind of awkward. I was nervous at first. And every every episode I've basically done has just gotten easier. It's been fun to do. And I really appreciate you guys listening. I got back my Spotify rep for my podcast. And I had 10, I had ten. I was a top 10 podcast for 34 fans, a top 5 podcast for 22 fans, and a number 1 podcast for 10 fans. It's only going to continue to grow, hopefully. But I do appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to my podcast. So I just wanted to kind of start things off on a really good note here and let's dive into the Minnesota Timberwolves. What is life like without Carl Anthony Towns? Well, first actually in my last podcast, I talked about the Timberwolves winning streak. And that very night I recorded after the Timberwolves win over the Indiana Pacers, their best win of the season. And then after that podcast release, they just went on a downward spiral. They lost Carl Anthony Towns. Jaden McDaniels has been, sick and they've given up 138 140 whatever it was 142 i wrote about it earlier they've been giving up just a boatload of points they look terrible against the warriors they look terrible against the wizards that was an embarrassing loss to the charlotte hornets they i think they win that game if carl anthony towns makes a couple more shots but a loss is a loss it counts the same as if it was a win so timberwolves are on a three-game losing streak they lose Carl Anthony Towns. They go into a home game against the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, Memphis is obviously a really good team, but if we're being completely honest, like if you're going to choose a team to play the day after, not the day after, like the first game after losing Carl Anthony Towns, it's probably the Memphis Grizzlies. And that's only because you get performances like Anthony Edwards. Like if they were, if you lost Carl Anthony Towns and you're playing, let's say, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who they're playing on Saturday, do we get that same performance from Ant? Does that get this team's juices flowing? 
you lose one of your best players, your feelings are down a little bit, and then you have to go play kind of a tanking team who's still also winning games because Shea Gilch is just having an all-NBA season. That said, winning that game, getting the vibes up, getting Anthony Edwards kind of confident and going really will help this team moving forward long-term. And I just don't know if you would get that same performance or that same energy facing an Oklahoma City Thunder team. So the first game without Carl Anthony Towns was obviously a success. And I don't think that losing this game was an indicator of Carl Anthony Towns on the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I tweeted that before the game, and I said, I do not want to hear anything about Carl Anthony Towns and if this team is better without him, if they start winning. Because it's not true. Carl Anthony Towns is an all-NBA center. He's probably the third best center in the NBA. And it just so happens that this two-big lineup is not working. And that's fine for now, but it needs to start picking up really fast. Otherwise, else the Timberwolves are going to dig themselves into a deep hole. But so far, with Carl Anthony Towns out, you can spin this in a positive way. And that's and again, that's not to say that the Wolves are better without Cat. I think I think that if it was the other way around where Gobert was out, I think we'd be having the same discussion about the Timberwolves and a one big lineup because frankly the two bigs has not has not been working for the Minnesota Timberwolves and last night and they played two different they they played two completely different games and last night that game was if that game the Wolves won with just cat that game looks like a 130 to 124 finish not a 109 101 victory and that's because Rudy Gobert obviously is a really good defender and I'll get to Rudy Gobert in a minute, but the Wolves are going to be playing a all-drop scheme defense with just Rudy Gobert before they're playing a couple different schemes with high wall, drop, zone. And with Rudy Gobert, I think we're going to start to see just a one scheme. And last year, they, they only ran high wall. And that helped the Minnesota Timberwolves because they're not going into each game wondering and what they're going to do or how it's going to change throughout the game. They're just focused on doing one job on defense and that worked. And for some players, that's the recipe for their success. And whether it's a positive or a negative, that's just how it works. And it worked last year. So you can't view it as, oh, they can only do one thing. Their one thing they did was really good. So the defense will look like that. On offense, it's going to be a lot of pick and rolls with, with D'Angelo Russell, Jalen Noel, and Anthony Edwards. D'Angelo Russell's obviously going to have to pick it up. He played really well. He's been playing really well over these last this last week and a half, week, two weeks. So that 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 right there is not me saying, oh, D'Lo's been playing poorly. He needs to step it up. I mean, he just needs to step it up another level because without Carl scoring, the Wolves are going to need another shot creator, and it can't just be fall all on Anthony Edwards and Jalen Noel. But D'Angelo Russell is assisting. His numbers have been great. He's playing defense at a actually at a pretty impressive rate. I actually want to find the tweet quick because it is kind of an interesting tweet. Just a moment here. All right. So Jordan Miranda tweeted earlier that D'Angelo Russell is holding his opponents to 38.9% when contesting their shots, 
that is the lowest in the NBA amongst qualifying qualified players who have defended at least 170 shots. Delo is also one of three guards to rank in the top 10 total in blocks and steals. And this last like three or four games, I feel like D'Angelo Russell is really locked in kind of since the Miami game when he, I think it was Max Struess. Can't remember. I think it was him. When he locked him in and he got the block, it's just like since that game, D'Angelo Russell has taken a step forward on defense and the Timberwolves need that effort from him on a night-to-night basis. So D'Angelo Russell is going to have to do a lot more pick and rolls. And I think that'll work because obviously Rudy Gobert is one of the best screen setters in the NBA. And we saw how that would work last night. Sure, Rudy Gobert only had nine points and like one board, but he deteriorated a lot of shots. And I keep getting back to Rudy Gobert. I keep saying I'm going to get back to him in a minute. And for some reason, it keeps coming. And I want to keep going. Okay, so I'm going to push back Rudy Gobert again. I'm sorry, guys. So the rotations in minutes, and I think once we get Torian Prince, Jordan McLaughlin, and Jaden McDaniels back, I don't know if we see Wendell Moore as much, but I would like to. But Nasri is going to continue to get minutes at the backup five, and that it works because he doesn't work well with Rudy Gobert on the floor, and he doesn't work well with Carl Anthony Towns on the floor. But he looked really good last night as a shot blocker and the only center on the floor. So you have you have Nas Reed at the backup, Rudy commanding the, the starting role at center. You have Kyle Anderson at power forward. Torian Prince will obviously be a backup four. You have Jaden McDaniels, Jalen Noel, Anthony Edwards, D'Lo, Jordan McLaughlin. Maybe Wendell sneaks in there, and then you have Austin Rivers. It'll be interesting. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone off the, just the top of my head. I should look at the box score so I can get a quick idea. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, okay, whatever. You get the point that the minutes, really everyone's going to keep playing and the only people that I can see falling out of the rotation right now will be either, well, for sure, Bryn Forbes, and then it's going to be kind of a toss-up between Austin Rivers and Wendell Moore. And I do think that Wendell Moore played well enough. You know, we're just going to get right into it of last night's game because I'm tired of just kind of dancing around it. Wendell Moore. He had an incredible night. I wrote about it at Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I tweeted about it at Let's Talk Wolves. Wendell Moore was, he was not sure if he was even going to play. Ten minutes before the game started, he found out he's going to be in the starting lineup. Jalen Well was the initial starter, but they moved him to the bench to kind of get that scoring punch. And it worked. And initially, that's what I thought it was because I, I figured it, they just wanted defense in the starting lineup. Someone who's going to move the ball can, can hit and knock down open shots and just has a high basketball IQ. But at first it was kind of like, well, why won't you just start Rivers like you have in the past? But then like you think about it, has the defense really been that good with Austin Rivers starting? And again, that can also be, you can point to it because that all those games were with Cat and Gobert. And tonight was your first look at it all only Rudy team. And it worked. Wendell Moore was faced with guarding John Morant, a player who was not easy to guard, despite all of his acting whistle calls that he always gets. He's just kind of a he's a loser. I don't I John Morant, I can't stand him. I hate Dylan Brooks. The Memphis Grizzlies is a fun rivalry. But Wendell Moore played great. He's played a combined total of nine minutes before Wednesday. So the fact that he played a combined nine minutes was thrust into a starting role, guarding an all-NBA MVP candidate in John Morant, 
and did an exceptional job. John Morant had four turnovers in the first quarter alone. And a lot of that has to do with Wendell Moore. And Wendell Moore shot three of six from the field, one of three from three. He also had three rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block. He made quick decisions. When he caught the ball, he either dribbled to find someone or he passed right away. If he was open, he took the open shot. He didn't hesitate. He didn't look uncomfortable out there. And if he didn't have the ball, he wasn't just stationary in the corner. He was cutting. He was moving. And that is so valuable for an offense to not just be so stagnant. A guy who can cut and move off ball is so important for the offensive flow. And Wendell Moore Jr. deserves minutes. I think it's a little premature to say, is he the answer to the Wolves problems, which I wrote about. But I do think that he could be a solution. And I ended it by saying, the Wolves might not necessarily have to go out and make a trade for a point of attack defender after losing, you know, Jared Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly. The solution might just be sitting there on the bench. And there might be some nights where it doesn't look good. But for the most part, if Wendell Moore can play can play at a high level, great basketball IQ, doesn't make mistakes, that is going to be a terrific addition to this Timberwolves team. That's what they need. All three of those things. Shot creation. Not shot creation, playmaking, defense, and high basketball IQ. Now let's talk about Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards, this was going to have to be his team when Carl went down with an injury. Before they were kind of playing a 1A, 1B type of thing. But I've always said that I do believe that Anthony Edwards should be the number one option on this team. Because you win with a guard. And you can look at the Philadelphia 76ers or the Denver Nuggets. They have a lot of success, but it is really hard to win in 2022 with a center being your number one option. It's just easier for a guard to create. And you see that with all the best teams in the league. You have Devin Booker, John Morant. I mean, Giannis, is a, he's a different breed. You have Luka. The list goes on. Steph Curry, like I can go, I can rattle a bunch of things off. Uh, Jason Tatum, he's a forward who's 6'10", 6'11", but he plays like a guard. And that is why Anthony Edwards needs to take over this team. And we got a glimpse of that last night. And I thought that that was probably his best performance. He's had nights where he drops 40 and he just takes over. But last night, not only did he score 29, he took over in the fourth quarter when they needed him most. But he he was looking to get others involved. He was kind of quiet there, and I want him to be a little bit more assertive on offense, but he was also just making the correct pass. He was making the extra pass, and that got others involved, and when others are getting involved, the offense is more... trying to think of the word. is more of a unit together. They play more as a team. It's not one... It's not a hero ball. And it was fun to see. And obviously he played elite defense, like playing not like his biggest knock is always off ball on ball. There's not really that much of an issue. He's got the prototypical body to just shut down any, any opposing wing. But last night, his off ball defense was great. There's a lot of help blocks. He was fantastic. He was active. And last night he finished the game with 29 points, five assists, three rebounds, five steals and three blocks. Incredible. Anthony Edwards might be taking a leap. And again, life without cat is gonna suck, but you can look at come on you can look at some of these 
positives out of it and think that this might be Anthony Edwards' chance over the next month, month and a half to take over the number one duty on offense. And then once Cat gets back, he can kind of take that second or third option. So Anthony Edwards taking the step forward. Hopefully we see more out of it. I want to see this kind of, I want to see this on Saturday against the Oklahoma City Thunder, not a game where he's like, oh, we're playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm not going to show up type of a thing. I want to see this continue. We need a consistent level out of him. If he can play like this every night, the Timberwolves will be fine. There's no doubt in my mind that they will be fine with just Anthony Edwards putting together just MVP type of games. And he has the, he has the potential to even to be that kind of guy. There's no doubt. Rudy Gobert. So I have the stats up right now. Rudy Gobert did finish with nine points. He had one block, one steal, and one rebound, which is absolutely insane to think about your first game back. Not your first game back. Your first game without Carl Anthony Towns, and you put up just one rebound. The Timberwolves were out-rebounded like crazy. And I had to find the numbers because it is just incredible that they lost this game. So the the Memphis Grizzlies had 59 rebounds compared to the Wolves 29. And I'm pretty sure 59 of those were, I mean, 20 of the 59 were offensive rebounds, which is absolutely insane that the Wolves had just 29 rebounds in general. Insane. And the Wolves still somehow won. But a huge reason that they won, and it's not like Rudy Gobert set great screens. That is what he does. He got players open because of the screening. Jalen Noel talked about it, how the corner was open. Players were able to get open shots because of Rudy Gobert's screening ability. And when they needed him, he came through. And on the defensive side of things, it was easy because it was just a drop scheme like he used to run in Utah. And that's what I talked about. I don't think that the Wolves defense is going to become Utah-esque. But I think it can be really similar if it's just a Rudy Gobert control defense. And we saw that last night where the final score of that game was just 109 to 101. And prior to that fourth quarter, it was a really slow game. And obviously the whistles and the referees had a lot to do with it. But the defense was playing really well. And that was without Jaden McDaniels, your other best defender on the team. And I have the stats up right here. Last night, Rudy Gobert... There was, I, it's kind of confusing the way NBA.com talks about the the shot, but it says overall, the Memphis Grizzlies shot 19 attempts and Rudy Gobert allowed six. That is a defensive field goal percentage of 31.6. In less than six feet, the Grizzlies shot four, four of nine, which was 44.4%. And less than 10, 10 feet, four of 10 for 40%. And obviously those numbers are, you know, I I believe the way they're doing it is there's probably just one shot in there that was like eight feet and they just added a tally in. But overall, six of 19 from the field for a 31.6%. That is insane. The Grizzlies shot 40 to 44% from 10 feet in. Rudy Gobert was just making John Morant, Dylan Brooks, whoever who decided to go in the paint did not have success because Rudy Gobert was in there intimidating. And yeah, he only got one block on Steven Adams, but he was 
causing the Memphis Grizzlies to think about whether or not they actually want to enter the paint. And that's why they traded for Rudy Gobert. It was also because of the rebounding, but his ability to just deflect and intimidate other players from going in the paint really does change a lot. And then if you bring in Jaden McDaniels and you have Wendell Moore and you're talking about perimeter defenders, and if Anthony Edwards can continue to play like this, it's going to be really hard for players to get open looks on the perimeter. And if they do get past either one of them, they're met at the, in the, by the rim by Rudy Gobert. So Rudy Gobert, yeah, he only had nine points and one rebound, but he did so much on the defensive end, and he only allowed the Grizzlies players to shoot 31.6% when they were attacking him. Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes, I need more from you guys. Last night, Austin Rivers did kind of come through later in the game. He was starting to knock him down. But Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes have been really underwhelming this year. So far this season, Austin Rivers is... Stupid ad. Okay, Austin Rivers this season is shooting 35.7% from the field. That's down from last year where he shot 41.7. And he's shooting 22.2% from three. Last year, he shot 34.2. So if Austin Rivers is not going to be knocking down open shots, he has the leadership. He has a lot of value on this team because of leadership. And I think his defense has been good, but I don't think it's been as like advertised as this like really good defender. He's still like kind of allowing players to blow by him. And maybe that's his idea where Wendell Moore is like more squared up and Austin Rivers is trying to force you into the paint type of thing. But it's not working so far. I don't think, and maybe that's just me, but it is my eye test that I don't believe that Austin Rivers' defense has been as hyped up as it should be. So if he's not scoring, he's not giving you much defense. He really only brings you leadership. And as for Bryn Forbes, I mean, he he is struggling. He had a really good preseason, and I was really hoping we'd get more from him because he really does have the value of shooting, especially that's why he's brought in with Rudy Gobert. But he is not playing well. Uh, in his career, he's a forty-one point, he's a forty-one percent three-point shooter, and this season, he is shooting twenty-five percent. That is brutal for one of the best three-point shooters in the league to shoot twenty-five percent. You need more from them, and if they're not going to give you more, then that leaves you Wendell Moore Jr. and that is totally completely fine. But you need more because they're not really giving you much in other categories. Now let's, fin- let's finish this, t- well, this discussion talking about Jalen Noel. Jalen Noel has been kind of in and out of the lineup. He has nights where he'll play a lot, and then he has nights where he just is not. He just he's like he's having nights where he just plays a lot, or he has nights where he just doesn't get any minutes, and that also has a lot to do with his defense and whether or not if he's not making shots, he's really not bringing you much value. I do think his defense is getting there. It's not going to be ever great, but I think he can be solid enough. He plays aggressive, and I like that out of him. His shot has been falling, but it also has not been as efficient this year, and I do believe that'll come around. This season, he's shooting 43% from the field. Last year, he shot 47.5. He also shot 39.4% last year from three, and this year, he's shooting 31.5%. Now, I want to pull up Jalen Noel's previous games because in the last past couple games he has been playing a lot better and that is a good sight to see because the wolves need a a six man i talked about their bench scoring has not been good they rely too much on the starters 
And that is going to be an issue moving forward if that's what they have to continue to do. So the last three games against the Golden State Warriors, Jalen Noel had 16 points, 5'11 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3. Against the Washington Wizards, 23 points, 9 of 13 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. And last night against the Memphis Grizzlies, 24 points, 9 of 19 from the field, and 4 of 10 from 3. And that is a Jalen Noel we know he can be and be moving forward. And if the Wolves can continue to get that out of them, they will be in great shape because they do need a scoring punch. And that is also why people keep bringing up names like Emmanuel quickly and finding guys to score off the bench because really for a while there, it was just like we were relying solely on Jalen Noel, maybe Austin Rivers, Nas Reed, and Kyle Anderson. So Jalen Noel, if he continues to play like this, they have a, a great six man. And then the defense, life without Cat will be difficult but it also might be easier because you're playing with only one center on the floor and moving forward. When, if, if this thing works, let's just say over the next month and a half, the wolves have a, they are four or five, maybe six or seven games above 500 and they go on a winning streak. And then they implement cat back into the lineup. Adding cat is going to be easier than just adding Rudy Gobert because Carl Anthony towns, is a shooter who can space the floor. It's not like you're adding a defensive center who sits in the paint. That is going to be harder for Minnesota. So losing Cat versus Gobert is going to be easier because, one, Cat has familiarity with his team. Rudy does not. And getting Rudy comfortable, familiar with everyone on the roster will be valuable over this next month, month and a half. Okay, now let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. On a kind of negative note, Andrew Booth Jr. had knee surgery to repair. I believe it was a torn meniscus. I should obviously double check before I say these things. But he did have successful. He did have successful surgery, so he will be out for the rest of the season. Obviously, he is not. He did not play obviously great when he did play, and it is upsetting because at Clemson he did struggle with injuries, and. Um, uh, trying to see where could I could have swore it was a meniscus. I don't know. I I, I believe I thought it was a meniscus injury, but he did struggle with injuries at Clemson, and that was also kind of why he fell to the second round. And it sucks because he has the potential to be a really good corner, and I do believe that he will become a good corner one day. It's just, it's not been the case so far. He's really struggled. There's a reason Caleb Evans has played better. There's a reason Shelly has looked better than him. It's frustrating. Hopefully he will be back by the start of uh, training camp and preseason where he can develop a little bit more. But it is a little upsetting that he didn't get more run, especially when you kind of not wasted a second round pick on him, but you invested a second round pick on a corner to improve what was and still is kind of a a weak point of the defense. Now let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings bounce back game against the New England Patriots. I'm not going to talk about it that much because it's been over a week since they've played, but it was a bounce back game and it was great to see them win after a loss. This team is too good of a team to lose back-to-back games and it's nice to see, especially in primetime. 
the stupid primetime stuff about, oh, Kirk is playing at 7 o'clock, they're going to lose, is just kind of a joke because there's no difference of if, if it doesn't matter. It's not like, oh, it's 7 o'clock, Kirk Cousins, he's not going to throw a pass the right way. It just is one of the dumbest like jokes on the internet, and it's pretty stupid to me. Okay, rant over. The defense did struggle. They made Mac Jones look really good, especially after I called Mac Jones a bum. The run game was better. The run defense, I should say. The run defense was better. They didn't really allow the Patriots to get anything going. Though, I mean, like, obviously, last time they played the Cowboys, you had to face Tony Pollard, who was a great running back. But the run defense was better. They are hopefully getting Dalvin Tomlinson back on Sunday. But Caleb Evans is practicing, so he should return as well. So you're getting Tomlinson, who is their best run stopper, and then a Caleb Evans, who has looked actually pretty decent in the time that Andrew Booth Jr. I mean, it was pretty clear that how much of a necessity he is to the defense, especially when Andrew Booth Jr. was playing. Cam Dantzler is likely to return on the 11th. So getting three of those guys back will help this defense immensely because they were just kind of trotting out backups who have been struggling. And that is also a huge reason the Dallas Cowboys had so much success is because the people that were out for the Vikings were guys who could have stopped the bleeding. Like the Cowboys continued to target Booth Jr. because he was just allowing guys to get wide open. And if he they, if he wasn't, if they weren't targeting him, they were running the ball with Pollard and having success because Tomlinson was, wasn't up the middle. And sure, they might lose that game, but I think it'd be a lot closer for those reasons. Now, the offense was great. New England has an elite defense, so I thought it was really impressive. They did shut down Dalvin Cook, but Kirk stepped up when they needed him most. Justin Jefferson, obviously, he's elite. And then you have TJ Hawkinson and Adam Thielen, who has been playing better. Is it time to start the discussion about whether or not they should start, not start, whether or not they should be playing Jalen Rager more over KJ Osborne? I like KJ Osborne, but I'm not really sure what he's been doing for me recently. Whereas Jalen Rager, I feel like he has the ability to give you that home run potential. And KJ Osborne, fine, whatever. He's a third receiver. You shouldn't expect as much out of him. But I do think that you could get more out of Jalen Rager, especially because, I mean, he was a first-round pick for a reason. But if you if he becomes more explosive, then you have something with another first-round rookie. Not a rookie. Uh, another first-round young wide receiver then you have a a wide receiver core of Adam Thielen, Jalen Rager, and Justin Jefferson. And if your third receiver can give you those home run type of plays and he can mix it up, and obviously if you throw in Jalen Rager, they they might assume you're doing a jet sweep or some sort of special package to get him going. But if you have him in all the time, they're not going to be as, they're not going to know what, to do as much on def- on defense. So I do think that they should start implementing Jalen Rager a little bit more over KJ Osborne. KJ Osborne has been great when it matters the most down the stretch of games. So that does hold a lot of value and weight, but Jalen Rager does have the potential to be a stud. It's just tough to say, obviously because he didn't play well in Philadelphia, but Philadelphia was not kind to him. And I'm hoping that a new change in scenery could get Jalen Rager going because he does, he does have the potential to be something special. So I told you a quick recap of the Patriots game. It's been a while since we've talked about that. So we're just going to preview the New York Jets game. It's not going to be Zach Wilson anymore. It's going to be Mike White. And he is, he is hit or miss. He's going to throw for yards. 
his, his decision-making isn't always the best. He throws a lot of interceptions. Last year, he threw five touchdowns for eight and eight or five touchdowns, eight interceptions, 953 yards in four games. So like I said, he throws for a lot of yards, but he doesn't always make the right play. And now last week in this first game of the season, he did look really well. He did play really well. Now he did not really well. He played really well against the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears defense is not good. So that could be kind of a fluke. It could be kind of a, oh, well, he played the Chicago Bears. Like, why would he Why would he look bad? But Mike White did look a lot better than Zach Wilson. He threw for two, he threw for 20. Okay. Blah. Completed 22 passes for 28 attempts, 315 yards, three TDs, and zero interceptions. That is impressive. It's good. And obviously the Jets offense looked a lot better. Now, will we see a Conklin revenge game? Hopefully not. But this year, Tyler Conklin has 381 yards, three touchdowns. They also have a lot of good receivers in Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Elijah Moore. They traded for James Robinson, but he hasn't really worked out for them. And they did that, obviously, after the injury to... The, the Iowa State running back. Forgot his name, but he was playing really well, obviously. But the trade for James Robinson hasn't really worked out. Instead, they've been using Michael Carter more. He's been kind of their main back. The Jets' defense is elite, like the New England Patriots. The reason the New York Jets have had success this season is not because of their offense. It is not because of Zach Wilson. It is because of their defense. Their past defense ranks eighth in the NFL, they're giving up 197.5 yards per game. The rush defense ranks 12th, 111.3. And opponents are only scoring 17.8 points, which would rank fourth. As long as I can get to Mike White and make him make those mistakes, I have no doubt that the Vikings can win this game. The Jets defense is great. It's going to be a slow game. But as long as they can limit the turnovers and cause Mike White to make some decisions that he, he shouldn't be making... The Vikings will win this game. I have the prediction at Vikings 21, Jets 10. It's kind of a quick re- kind of a quick recap and preview, but let's move on to the Minnesota Twins. So if you didn't see the Jim Polad is was the guy who was under charge, obviously, and now Joe Polad will be taking the day-to-day operations. But what we are going to be talking about today is Max Kepler. What should the Minnesota Twins do with Max Kepler? And I feel like this has been a conversation for years. Personally, with the shift kind of being not completely banished next season, but it's going to be tinkered with. It's going to be, there's not going to be the same. For the most part, the shift is gone. There's going to be a few, obviously, things I think that they're going to be allowing still. But Max Kepler is a guy who benefits from the shift not being there. And I'm going to get to it. I'll just talk about it now, I guess. I'll just go down my notes. 89.7% of Max Kepler's bats last year were in the shift. And he had he obviously had success prior to that. Will it happen again? I don't know, because his best season was obviously 2019. And whether or not we get that same Max Kepler from 2019, I don't think that's going to happen. He's aging. It's not like he's he's still in the prime and you can't see him doing quotation marks but 
it is like you can't really say he's in his prime at this point. He's going to be 30 next year. And in 2019, he had 252 and 36 home runs and 90 RBIs. Now it's kind of back when the balls were juiced. Last year, he hit 227, nine home runs, 43 RBIs. And that was in 115 games. In 2021, he hit 211, but he did have 19 home runs and 54 RBIs. So Max Kepler is not hitting for, he's losing power by the year. His batting average is getting worse. He's not really giving you much on offense, but where his value is, is on the defensive side of things. He is one of the best defenders in baseball. Last year, he finished with a 2.1 wins above replacement, and a majority of that is because of his defensive ability. He, I don't have the exact stat, but he might have saved the most runs out of right field. If not, he was for sure top five. Max Kepler is a great defender, but he is like your eighth or ninth guy on a really good team if he's batting every day. So the question is, should they keep him? I would still keep him for next year because I just really want to see one more year of Max Kepler without the shift. I want to see if that changes anything. I don't want to move him when his value is so low. When his greatest strength on offense without the shift could be coming back. And we don't know. Like, why trade a guy now when his best season, not his best season, when his comeback season could be happening? And without the shift, that is completely possible. If the shift was not coming back, if the shift was still in place, then the Twins should absolutely move on from Max Kepler, but it's not. The shift is leaving, and Max Kepler's value might be going up. And his value goes up, and you want to move him. That will increase about what you can do. Because right now, he has a 5.8 trade value on baseball trade values. And if you're wondering what that can get you, it's someone like Anthony Santander, Santander which I'm not even sure that even gets you him because uh, Santander had a good season for the Baltimore Orioles. Right now, if you were to trade Max Kepler, you're just going to get a typical older outfielder who's either, you know, you're kind of like, oh, this might be a bounce back year, or you're just getting kind of just a guy who's going to hit 240, 10 to 15, 20 home runs, and a couple RBIs. And if you move him, you might just be getting a guy who only plays offense and no defense at all. Or you might be, and because you're not going to move Max Kepler for an all-defensive guy because you already have that. So the thing is, what does Max Kepler even net you in a trade? And the answer is not much. So if the value is low, why move on from him? Because this year, he's going to make about $8.5 million this year, which isn't a lot, but it isn't a good number considering the, considering the production he's been giving you. If he's been giving you kind of that 2019, maybe even 2018 season, or whatever you want to call it, like prior to, since 2019, he's been bad. But prior to leading up to 2019, and then 2019 was obviously the best year, he was giving you kind of that 8.5 million value, in a sense. So this year, he will be making 8.5. Next year, he makes 10 million, but it's a club option. So worst case, this is his last season for you. So personally, what good does it do to move him for another negative value when you can just keep him right now in hopes that the shift 
increases his value. And if it does, you can retain him next year or you can move him for something else. Personally, it doesn't make sense to me. Like if it doesn't work and you really, really can't handle Max Kepler midseason, you do have other options like Alex Kirilov. You have other options like Matt Walner. So personally, I would keep him. Let me know what you think. Send me a tweet at Let's Talk Twins, and I'd love to discuss it with you because I know it's an unpopular take, but I just don't see the reason in trading a guy whose value is so low right now that you wouldn't get much back. Let's end things talking about MVP, rough week, and underrated. MVP is Justin Jefferson. Rough week is Rudy Gobert. Yes, I just praised him. And then underrated is the offensive line. Justin Jefferson, back-to-back-to-back weeks as the MVP on this podcast. Should we just name rename this category the Justin Jefferson Award? Because pretty much every time he steps on the field, he does something incredible. Against the Patriots on Thanksgiving, 10 receptions, 193 yards, one touchdown. Like, the stuff he does on the field is incredible. He is the Vikings' best player. And without him, the offense would suffer immensely. So Justin Jefferson, you are this week's MVP after a 193-yard performance and a touchdown. Now, Gobert, the last time I talked was his best game, probably. The Indiana Pacers game where he was crazy efficient with Carl Anthony Towns. And since then, he kind of has been meh. Against the Charlotte Hornets, 17 points, 17 boards four stocks. And that's a great stat line, but the result was a loss. And maybe that's not all on him, but the whole week as an in, gen- in general, if they lost three games and Rudy Gobert was a huge reason for those Golden State Warriors, nine points, 10 boards. And then the Washington Wizards, 19 points, seven boards. He was seven to seven in that game. And most of that production came in the second half when Carl Anthony Towns went down with an injury. So, we already talked about his game against the Memphis Grizzlies. It sucks because you could just say, oh, well, he had one good game, but it's like the Timberwolves have played so many games since we last talked that if three out of the four games were bad, I think that qualifies you as rough week. And it's tough because a lot of my notes were like kind of with what happened before Carlton Towns went down, but he was kind of clogging the lanes. The transition defense was hurting with Carlton Towns. So a lot of it kind of is just kind of water underneath the bridge. Because before it was like Rivers and Gobert spoke about the transition defense and they said they need to get back. And Anthony Edwards made comments about that we're we're doing our job in transition defense, but Rudy and Kat need to get back and that's what has been hurting us. Well, obviously that's not the case. The Wolves made a great effort last night against the Memphis Grizzlies to do transition defense. And a lot of that was because they weren't trotting out to big men. And he's also just not catching the ball. D'Angelo Russell made a comment saying that if he catches the ball, he will score. And that was kind of a, I don't know, kind of a shot at Rudy for basically not catching. He does have some of the worst hands. I thought Jared Vanderbilt had bad hands. Rudy Gobert has pretty bad hands. And in that Washington Wizards game, Rudy Gobert was a minus 28 in 12 minutes. Not in tw- At one point in the game, he was a minus 28 in 12 minutes, and he basically kind of cost him it because Chris Epps-Porzingis was just cooking him on the perimeter. So hopefully, Rudy Gobert next week will be the underrated or MVP. And I think he can be. This is obviously just kind of 
what it had before Carnthy Towns going down, and it was before he went down. And just and if you don't count the Memphis Grizzlies game, Rudy Gobert has been virtually almost unplayable. And even last night, he did help the the Wolves win that game. But he had a lot of fouls in the first half, and some of those were terrible calls. But Nas Reed was the show in the first half, and he looked. And so, truly, like Gobert did have a really good game against the Grizzlies at the end. He stopped them from scoring inside the paint. But he also was kind of a minus in that first half. So hopefully he turns it around, but we'll see. Offensive line. Last week I gave them a rough week. They were terrible. But this week against the New England Patriots, they had a great performance. They only gave up one sack, and which is really impressive considering that Judon leaves the seat. Considering Judon leads the league in sacks. Like I almost put the over in on prize picks for two sacks even. I was like, well, worst case, they're for sure getting two, which gives me the push. There's no way they don't get two. They got one, which is wild because obviously Judon had like 13 sacks going into that game, 13 and a half. And then I can't remember the other guy's name. He had like six and a half. And the Patriots are good at getting to the quarterback. Their defense is great. And the Vikings offensive line without Derrissaw, I was like, this will be easy. They only gave up one sack. They gave Kirk Cousins plenty of time, and in turn, that allowed Justin Jefferson to get rolling. Dalvin Cook did struggle in the run game, but what mattered most was they allowed Kirk to ball out, and it's because of the offensive line. So I want to give them credit because against the Dallas Cowboys, they were absolutely cooked, and this week, you can make the case that this was one of their best weeks, if not the best week they played. But anyways, that wraps up our 37th episode. Be sure to follow Let's Talk Minnesota Sports on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow my accounts on Twitter at Let's Talk Twins, Let's Talk Wolves, Let's Talk Bikes, and Let's Talk Wild. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.